You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You ready? Welcome back, everyone, to the Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Steve Vega, and I'm super excited about today's show. We will be breaking down 20 topics from Matt Perino's article on Syracuse.com. I'll be posting that link inside uh, where I typically put my article on buffalorumblings.com. You can always find that in every other podcast. So hope everyone's having a great weekend going into Thanksgiving. And we got a big matchup against the Chargers and we got Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot with me. Matt Perino, Buffalo Bills beat reporter from Syracuse.com and New York Upstate. And Ryan Talbot, Bills writer for New York Upstate and Syracuse.com. How's it going, fellas? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Good. Absolutely. Good absolutely. to talk to you, my man. I feel like um, I don't ever think about your last name. I always think just Steve, and then you just said Steve Vega, and I'm like, remember Yolanda Vega? Like uh, the the <laughs> she was on the uh, lottery uh, ticket way back in the day, or the, the lottery balls. And I think she I don't still know why. does it. Does she still do it? Okay, so that's what I. How, how dare you insult Yolanda Vega <laughs> like that? <laughs> Dang, Matt. Well, like, the disrespect. I don't know. Um, I don't really play the lottery too much. So I guess as I've gotten older and like it's more appointment TV these days that I just don't ever. So sorry, Yolanda, if, if you heard that. I'm Yolanda Vega. There you go. There's a little impersonation. <laughs> she still does it. Right. Well, we found People. Yolanda Vega's biggest fan, Ryan right. Talbot. So That's like right. if she hears this. Trying to hit the lotto here. <laughs> I always I always get asked actually even to this day like if I'm related to that girl from Spy Kids. You remember that girl? Her last name was I think it was Alexa Vega or something like that. I've never seen Spy Kids, Steve. Okay, oh. you've never seen Spy Kids? No. And where where have you been all these years, Matt? Come on, Spy Kids is is legendary. It's how, like how old it's are you? Ch- it's how old I'm twenty eight. How old are you, Ryan? You're a little bit older. Thirty six. Uh, and you watched it, Ryan? I saw the one that had Sly Stallone in it, just because I'm a big Sly Stallone guy. I think that was one okay, of the yeah. I'm 38, so I think that that was maybe the the era, you know, bef- like after me. Uh, that that's not my thing. That's not my jam, Steve. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I, we can we can still agree upon that. There there are several things we definitely have watched, even though you're 10 years older than me. Come on, Space Jam. What else? Space Jam's elite. Space Jam's elite. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, okay, Power Rangers with the slime, the slime guy. Go, go, Power Rangers. Actually, my brother was a big Power Rangers fan, actually. Uh, yeah, that wasn't really my jam. But you know what? I'm not judging. Okay, Spider-Man 1, the first Spider-Man ever. With uh, Peter Parker. Toby. Toby Maguire. <laughs> Peter yeah, so Toby Maguire. Yeah. Definitely Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, Peter Parker. Uh, yeah, I was a big uh, Kirsten Dunst uh, fan in those movies. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm there with you. Okay, cool. So we met each other halfway. That's all that matters. So here we go. We're going to jump into this now. And Matt, let me just say this was the best 
article since Sal Capaccio's article where he dropped a bunch of knowledge uh, basically to answer a, just every question you could have about the Bills going into just the next just really strong half of the season. And it what a key time for you to drop these 20 topics right when the bye week um, you know get, gets over and we're getting into a key matchup against the Chargers who lost six games by one score. Let's just be clear. They're two and seven, but that does not tell the story. So we're going to get there, but I'm just going to break down how we're going to go about these uh, topics because it's a, there, there's 20 questions, but I'm only going to pick a few. So the first one we're going to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be when Matt Milano returns, what happens to AJ Klein? The next one will be uh, number five, Josh, does Josh Allen have a shot at MVP? Then we skip down to number 12, stop calling Ed Oliver a bust. And number 15, Tredavious White earning every penny. And finally, we're going to get into the last question, uh, bold, uh, the bold prediction uh, with the Bills finishing 12-4. and four. We're going to fit the Chargers analysis right before that. But uh, Ryan, why don't we start off with Matt Milano, right? How, maybe you can just give your insight real quick before Matt does. Uh, when Matt Milano returns, what happens to A.J. Klein? Well, I think you can be smarter about how you're going to play Jay Klein in that scenario. I think I still think that maybe they have him out there more on the field than they would like right now, but they at least have figured out a role for him. Uh, also, shout out to Matt for the the Goodwill Hunting reference in that specific question. Great movie, great uh, reference. But I think that when Milano comes back, because a lot of those base defenses that you see, uh, at least that we saw in years past, have Milano and Edmonds as your main linebackers, and obviously Klein is not in that same stratosphere. So. You can still bring Klein in in certain sets, certain looks. Uh, you can utilize him rushing the passer. He, he's definitely improved over the last two games. There's no arguing that. Uh, but once once Matt Milano comes back, if he is close to healthy, uh, obviously they're going to utilize him and have him out on the field as much as possible. All right, Matt. So obviously you had a very in-depth analysis on this. So what do you foresee happening when Matt Milano returns, because AJ Klein, I mean, is starting to really settle into this defense, right? So, yeah, I mean, let's be honest though. Here, Matt Milano has had a hard time staying healthy. So, even if they do get him back, I still think the depth that they've found with Klein, and to a lesser extent, Tyrell Dotson, who has been working off to the side. We saw him out there at practice today, working with Milano with the strength and conditioning team off to the side of practice. He, he played well for them in in some limited opportunities. So I think getting as many guys back for the stretch run as you can find, I think is ideal. I know a lot of fans had, you know, high hopes for Darren Lee. I'm not putting the kibosh on that by any stretch of the imagination, but I think AJ Klein, a guy that's been in the meeting since March, May, um, trying to think of when things started, the COVID months kind of go together, May, um, when the, a lot of the zoom meetings started, I feel like he gives you the best opportunity, um, at, uh, a starter level player. And I think also when you get Milano back, AJ Klein's um, coming on here, what it offers them is the ability to play their four, three scheme a little bit more and have some more confidence in that. I wonder how much early on, I mean, if you talk about how much this team relied on that nickel package um, early on in the season, I think a lot of that has to do and, and beyond a lot of that has to do with, 
you know, not having the right pieces maybe to play that role. Cause even you go back to last year with Lorenzo Alexander, I feel like they played that three linebacker look a lot more last year than they have this year. If AJ Klein's going to be this good, you can, you can go back to that role. And, and one of the areas they use Lorenzo in heavily last year was as, as a pass rusher. So, um, I think right now an embarrassment of riches would be a welcomed uh, site for Bob Babich, the uh, the linebackers coach for the Bills, and Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. Well, those are great points. You know, when I look at this situation, I, I just think availability is the key to the Bills' defensive success. Uh, everyone that has been getting hurt, has it's just been a nightmare. Uh, obviously, you want to just see the defense get back into the stride, and what a better time uh, than the last six games of the season where you have really key matchups. You got <laughs> what is it? Four primetime games coming up, three, three or four primetime games coming up. I know I'm saying this right off the bat, but I, I mean, I'm looking at this situation and I'm saying this is obviously key for Milano in getting resigned. And he needs to look at that this way. But the fact of the matter is if I'm the Buffalo bills and I care about Matt Milano, I'm not even thinking about next year trying to resign him right now. Personally, I want that, but if I'm in the Bills' shoes right now, I'm saying let's ease him back into the lineup and have him ready for the playoffs because that's when it's truly going to matter. We know that we're going to match up really well against the teams that are going to be in the last four games. You got the Steelers, you got the Broncos, the Pats, and the Dolphins. These next two games, I don't think we need to rush it. Uh, You know, the 49ers are missing a lot of key pieces. The Chargers have a rookie quarterback that in my opinion, yes, they've lost those six those uh those six games by I believe it was only one possession. They could have come back or tied it. You know, I look at it this way. At the end of the day, all we need to do is figure out how we're gonna match up really well in the playoffs. I think we're gonna be just fine in the last four games. Let's ease him back into the lineup against the Chargers and the Niners. And, you know, it, it does kind of stink that he's gotten this stigma where he's injury prone now. But I mean, here's my question then is Feliciano injury prone because he tore his pec completely. He was out, but yet Matt Milano was playing through it. I, I see him as a tougher commodity, a tougher prospect in that, in that respect, because he's just taken a beating all game long, trying to help out with the pass, trying to help out with the pass rush on the run game. He had a big, um, a big role with all those games. And I, I can dive deeper into that, but um, I'm going to leave it at that. And I want to jump to the next question here. So does Josh Allen have a shot at MVP? Matt, you can start off. Okay. Uh, going out of order here, Steve. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think he does. And I think he does. Be, a big part of that for me is, how the schedule lines up and the fact that I think that this Bills team going up against, as I mentioned in the story, only two of the final six opponents have winning records. Um, I think the Bills are going to win a lot of those games. So if you're talking about 12 wins, which I know we're going to get to in a little bit, a little bit of time here, 11, 12, 13 wins. I mean, if they go undefeated, I don't, I don't see that happening. Then you're, you, you got to play some in the conversation. If he continues this production, his numbers are, are right there with almost anybody outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes. I still think right now Patrick Mahomes is the MVP, and, and there's really um, there's no debate right now. I, I I think there's a secondary conversation that can be had. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray's in the mix there, Russell Wilson, and then I think Josh Allen. And I think if the Bills are going to win some of these games down the stretch, I I I I, I see him putting up 
similar numbers and and he's going to go up here's the flip side of it though he's going to go up against a lot of good defenses and it starts you know really with the chargers but then it really gets ramped up a little bit with the broncos and the steelers and those are two good pass defenses that are going to challenge josh and josh struggled against his pittsburgh defense last year so if you're playing the opposite side of things and you don't think he's got a shot that's probably a big reason why but i think that he's done a good job against some tougher defenses in the first 10 games that makes me believe he's developed enough and and at at a stage where he can still put up the kind of production he's put up early in the year even as the the tests get tougher so i think he's going to be in the conversation i'm not predicting him to win mvp I, i don't even think he'll probably end up as the top in the in the in the final three um but I think, do I think it's possible? Sure. Awesome. So what do you got, Ryan? He's going to have to finish the year extremely hot for that to happen. Um, and, and you're going to have to see Patrick Mahomes stumble a little bit. Like Matt said, he, he's going to be going against some great defenses. So if he can put up big numbers against the Chargers and against the Broncos, uh, against the Steelers, even against the Patriots, where they obviously utilized more of a run game in their first matchup, and possibly Week 17 uh, against the the Dolphins of seeding or if the AFC East is on the line. If he can end that stretch on a tear, yeah, there's a shot. But right now, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I feel like, has not only uh, does he lead the role, I feel like there's a significant gap as of right now just based on his play, you know, uh, obviously, every the, the last game is always one that's fresh in your memory. But with what was it a minute and a half left? You just tr- moved right down the field with ease to get them uh, the lead back uh, against the Raiders on, on Sunday night. So he's Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in the league. He is a Super Bowl champion, and right now he is the favorite for MVP. I mean, you said it right there. I I couldn't help but just you know, drop my jaw when I saw how easily with seven plays with just over a minute, you know, he had all three timeouts to be fair, but I mean, he just marched down the field with ease and the Raiders had no idea how to stop him. Uh, I don't see that from Josh Allen yet, but I will say the only argument I would have against Patrick Mahomes against all these other quarterbacks he'll be going up against for this MVP chatter towards the end of the season is going to be who is most valuable to their team. Because I feel like a lot of people think, oh, you know, who's the most valuable player in the NFL? Well, then we should get into wide receivers. How, I don't know, Stefan Diggs changed the entire Buffalo Bills offense, right? You look at Deshaun Watson uh, with a two and seven team, you know, just willing his way I mean, masterfully against a Bill Belichick defense who is catching their stride again. I mean, there are several cases you can make for several players all over the NFL, but I look at how Josh Allen has taken a big step forward this year, and uh, I, I'll take it this. I'll, I'll just take take what I can with this conversation and just, and just say at least in his third year, he's in the chatter. That's, that's a big deal. It, it's not every day you're going to have a guy like, you know, with the vision, the a, a guy like Patrick Mahomes who can throw off his back foot, you know, freaking 65 yards. It's, it's just not normal and so accurate. So it's, it's a really tough conversation to have, but I definitely, I'm, I'm enamored with it. I think it's a really cool conversation to have, especially uh, coming out of Buffalo uh, with a, with a kid from Wyoming uh, starting to get his career together. I think it's really awesome. So we're going to jump down to number 12. I know I'm jumping all over the place on this. It's just, these were the ones that I was just like, man, they really caught my attention, Matt. So uh, let's, let's jump on number 12. So stop calling Ed Oliver a bust. Ryan, what do you got on that? 
Well, I don't think it's fair to call him a bust. I think that uh, the Bills' defensive line has been all out of whack this season in general. It started with Star Latulale opting out uh, with the COVID concerns, obviously, and uh, because of that, uh, the the interior that that defensive line has struggled. Uh, I still think though that Ed Oliver ha- has played well in in this new role, so to speak, that he's had to take on under Eric Washington. I think that the defensive line in general has just taken some time to mold and and kind of figure things out under Eric Washington. As of late, we're starting to see some signs that they're coming to life, that they're high up there in the last few weeks in pressures and sacks. Uh, we're, We're seeing, obviously, a lot of life out of the defensive ends, but we're also seeing some push from the interior. So, there's a lot of moving parts uh, in terms of what went wrong or what was going wrong early on this season with the defensive line, but it's not doesn't really have anything to do with Ed Oliver and his play. I feel like when you do watch him, he is pushing the pocket. He is moving offensive linemen back toward the quarterback. It might not show up in the stat line. It might not show up in, in sacks, uh, but, I, but I feel like he's been doing his part, his 111th, so to speak, out there on the field. Awesome. What do you have, uh, Matt? Matt, whenever you're ready, you can go. Can you hear me? Sorry about that. Yes. Oh, you're good. You're good. No worries. Um, it's tough because on the one hand with, with Ed, there's this expectation because he's a top 10 draft pick and there's just like with Josh Allen the year before him, there's going to be elevated expectations for those players. Um, and when you look in the stat sheet and you know that Ed Oliver showed in a few games last year that he's capable of of stuffing the stat sheet uh, in games, and you're just not seeing that right now. I understand the frustration as a fan that comes with that, but if you take a a, a closer look and and you talk to Leslie Frazier, like I asked him about this specifically, there's no concern. There's no um, uh, nobody's chomping at the bit to you know maybe get his snap count down or you know get somebody else in there i think it's just a matter of this is a new look like ryan mentioned they're without a few pieces most notably star latulale who i think still we don't talk enough about the impact that that's made on not only um at oliver because you know that role is important to what he does but tremaine edmonds too uh he's had to kind of morph his game a little bit. He's dealt with an injury and that's also part of it. But so I, I think that with Ed, it's just about, is he being a disruptor? And and from what everything that they've watched on film, Leslie Frazier uh, told us that he has been. And as long as he's doing that, that's what they drafted him to be. Now I know you want more sacks and maybe that will come. I think, I think Leslie alluded to that as well, that, you know, that could be something that, 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 starts to happen for him. Um, but I think that this defense as a whole is a, it's a great conversation because I think this defense as a whole is set up to trend in the right direction as the season kind of crescendos because they came out and they've struggled so mightily at times in different areas and dealt with guys out of the lineup and new pieces getting acclimated that don't forget somewhere in there is still a Sean McDermott defense that finished, you know, top five the last two years. I think that that defense is still in there. So if you think about Ed as a microcosm of that and what they're potentially moving towards when they are hoping to be playing their best ball in December and in, you know, really important in January, I think you've got to be excited about that because they've, they've been fine 
a lot over the last couple weeks. And I thought in that fourth quarter against the Cardinals, how good was Micah Hyde in that quarter? How good was this defensive front learning from their mistakes earlier in the season? Um, I can't remember who the specific quarterback it was now. I'm drawing a blank, but they went up. Oh, uh, was it? Oh, no, it wasn't Patrick Mahomes. And where they struggled the most was losing contain on him and letting him get out of the pocket and make plays against Kyler Murray. They, it was the complete opposite. Everybody was responsible. I thought that they did a really good job throughout four quarters and especially in that fourth quarter before that final play. And that's progress. And that's what you want to see. And I think we'll see more progress from Ed. You know, I look at this whole D tackle situation and I couldn't, I couldn't help but compare it to the wide receiver situation. The reason being is because when you look at how big of a deal it was for Ed Oliver's success having Star Latulale all season long last year, uh, I, I I compare it to imagine if let's just imagine if John Brown was nowhere to be found this whole season and how much pressure would be on Stephon Diggs all year long. I mean, even with that, Stephon Diggs is still going to get his numbers. He's still going to get his eight to ten receptions, get a hundred yards, but. The, the, the offense is so much more explosive when they're both healthy and they're both doing great. And it's the same thing with our D tackles. I feel like it's been hard to figure out who is the best one to plug in. And I feel like we've been doing a lot of shuffling, uh, you know, Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, uh, you know, Phillips, and then you're trying to figure out what we can do to, uh, you know, make Ed Oliver pop off the screen. And I, I think that's why Leslie Frazier said that he's like, they're still, he's still drawing a double team. It's the other guys that are getting opportunities that aren't, aren't executing. Right. So at the end of the day, I, I do like what I'm seeing out of, out, out of Ed Oliver. I don't think he's a bust. I think it's tough when you take a bigger role as always, you know, it's an adjustment. Um, even the greats had to figure that out and pass rushing and stuffing the run game all at once. You know, it's not an easy task and you got these gazelles for quarterbacks out there. So, I mean, even on the last, the last play where they threw the hail Mary, you saw who was the last player to get to Kyler Murray. I mean, right after he threw it, it was at Oliver. I mean, he's running all over the field and some would say, what if at Oliver would have sacked him? He would have probably been all been all over. Good morning football. Right. <laughs> but, um, Let's jump into number 15 here, uh, still staying on the defensive side. So we're talking about Tredavious White, earning every penny. What do you have, Matt? Man, how good has he been in the last couple of weeks? And, you know, I think two things happened earlier in, the, earlier in the season is that, number one, he was dealing with an injury that I, he was kind of playing through. He missed the game. I think that was part of it. And I think that a lot of times – for guys that are so good at the position that he plays, when you don't hear their name, that's a good thing. And I think that's something that gets lost a little bit, you know, especially with more casual fans. And so it's like you, you see this guy make get a big contract and you don't see any interceptions early in the season. And you're like, wait, what's going on? Well, sometimes you don't get interceptions because guys, you're not getting thrown at. So I think that no matter what the situation is, Tredavious White has shown that whether he's getting paid $69 million, which is what the contract that he just signed over the next four years, or his rookie deal, or whatever else, you're going to get the same Tredavious White. And that's that's huge. I also think that that's what's happened with Deion Dawkins. He's having the best season of his career. I got a couple of really great stories coming out in the next week or so. Uh, Deion will be next week, and I got one on John Feliciano coming out tomorrow. I talked to Bobby Johnson last week. Some great stuff. Can't um, wait for that. 
Yeah, Bobby's great. And I've always, I've been a big fan of his for a while because you know what? I I think when guys are real with you and and just talk, kind of give you a, a lens into it, well, when they don't have to, I mean, as a, as a writer, as a journalist, I mean, it's hard not to love those guys, but, um, I think that to have the two guys, the two first big guys that you decided to pay of from your first draft class, I mean, that speaks volumes of where this thing is at. And Tredavious White's been the last couple of weeks. I mean, he has, he's been one of the big reasons I think this defense has taken another step because when he's really good, it takes away a part of the field. I mean, that's, that's the goal. And so, um, yeah, worth every penny. I guess, uh, Ryan, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to say what every fan's saying inside their head. They don't want to say it out loud, right? Even after getting posterized. Yes. I do think Tredavious White is earning every penny. Even after that Hail Mary pass, what Colin Coward said, hit the nail on the head. Yes. They should have not tried to intercept that ball. They should just batted it away. I get it. But at the end of the day, when you are, you have 12 interceptions and are tied for fourth most since entering the league, you're disruptive every single down. The only weakness I see in Tredavious White's game going into this year was against those drag routes where they're just, it's either they're, they're running a high drag route. I mean, they're just, they're starting low and going high, or they're just staying right at the line of scrimmage and they're just kind of crossing over and he's, you know, he's playing man to man. It's really hard to keep up with a lot of really, really speedy you know, wide receivers getting those seven, eight yard gains. And there's one play in particular where he got burnt. I forgot exactly who it was against, but it was at Buffalo. And I mean, they just scored with ease. Uh, I think it was against the Rams. As a matter of fact, I think it was Cooper cup, but, and he's an amazing wide receiver, right? So the one thing I, I do take away from Tredavious white's game this year though, is he is very disruptive on the quick passing game. And that's what I love about his game. Uh, you know, if you count one, two, three, and the quarterback is looking White's way, I always expect an, uh, you know, close to interception or pass breakup every single time. Uh, and that's just what I think. I think he brings that presence to the defense. I'll tell you right now, Tredavious White not on the field is scary for our defense. You saw what happened against the Titans. They scored at will. A.J. Brown was catching all over people. You got Josh Norman getting stiff-armed 10 yards back. It, you saw right away how much he means to this defense. Um, so, Ryan, how about you can jump on this question as well real quick? Yeah, you know, when he wasn't healthy, he wasn't playing up to the standard that I think a lot of Bills fans had seen out of him in the past, but that's to be expected. It's it's the reason why Tremaine Edmonds was, was having a disappointing season up until, you know, all of a sudden his shoulder was close to 100% again in the last two games he's played well. Once we saw that White was healthy, he's been playing just up to the same level that he was before. Uh, He had a great game against the Seahawks, especially reading uh, Russell's eyes, knowing exactly when to fall back or fall off to get that interception late in the game. He had a pass breakup on a pass to David Moore early in that game, played pretty well against the Cardinals as well, obviously. So, you know, he's not a concern on that field. And with each passing day, with each cornerback that's re-signing with their respective teams, his contract's already looking more and more like a deal. That's awesome. That's like literally hit the nail on the head right there. I think uh, real, real big credit to uh, the Bills organization on approaching his contract. I totally agree with that. Uh, so let's jump into this real quick on the Chargers before we get into the last uh, uh, prediction as far as you know what you said about 12 and 4, uh, Matt. So the Chargers are no joke. Uh, you know... If I'm going to start off real quick, I'm just going to say that 
You have to run to the weak side against them. I think there's a lot of opportunity there, which the Bills have done really well. Uh, I think they only run to the weak side and up the middle. And you have to man up against Keenan Allen, play him real physical. That's what the Jets did. Uh, I'm looking at their most recent tape. I've looked at other games, and I'm just kind of looking at how they how the AFC East matches up against them. And I think that's something that we should take into account. And again, six of the Chargers' loss are by one score. You know, I think we just we just need to get in front early and stay there. Meaning this, everyone, we need to kill the three point average points in the third quarter. The Buffalo Bills are averaging. I repeat. Three points in the third quarter. That is not how you win playoff games. That's how you lose them. That's the reason we lost last year. We came out of the second half, and we were abysmal. We couldn't figure out how to score. The Bills offense needs to show up and show up big in this game. They're 2-7. and seven. Show what it means to be a playoff team. Go into the second half with the same momentum you go into with you know into the first half. And I think if you're going to confuse Herbert, you blitz on and off with the safeties all game long. That's the only way because they got a great running game. They got two stellar wide receivers. I don't care what anyone says about Mike Williams. I think he is he can easily be a number one receiver on any other team. Uh, just having him and Keenan Allen is is a huge threat. They get their running game going. Uh, you know, they're very dangerous. So I foresee the Chargers being able to make great adjustments as well, just like any other team has played the Bills. And so the Bills need to stay as sharp as possible. I'm going to stop there. Matt, you can continue on this. Um, yeah, I think that... Sorry, I was distracted by my, my daughter walking by in high heels. <laughs> she's two years old, and uh, she's wearing high heels all everywhere she goes, so uh, a bit of a distraction. I no, saw I, a video. I saw a video. <laughs> she Did she wipe your kiss off the other day? She did. She did. Oh, the, the, no. She's growing. The nerve. The absolute <laughs> nerve. But, I, like, I, like I tweeted, um, I kind of like the idea of her, you know, uh, you know spurning... Uh, Kisses, so that's fine as she for as she gets older. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think you know your third quarter gripe is um, fair, and but I also think that it's a little bit of you know if you if you use some you know thirty thousand foot um, perspective on this, I think that you'll you'll quickly realize that the third quarter struggles are. Um, there's something that you can attribute it to. And I think that it's how successful they've been in the first and second quarter and how successful they've tended to be in the fourth quarter. And I, I've seen some stuff out there. I think my man, Sal, and I don't disagree with Sal too often because, um, A, we're good friends, and B, um, he's done this a long time and he's he's got a real good mind for this stuff. But he said that he, he, he doesn't think that there's third. I think it was him. Um, he's not attributing the third quarter stuff to um, adjustments, but I do think it's a little bit of adjustments because I think that what happens is over the course of a game, you know, you have draw whatever you have four, three, four drives in the first half. You're learning things about that opponent every step of the of those drives throughout the game, and by the time you get to that fourth, fifth, sixth drive, and some most of those happen in the third quarter, I just feel like the 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 reps that you've had against that team, it's only fair to to think that most teams are going to you know they're pro football players too are going to figure out little ways to defend against what you had going well and also as an offense 
You know, I also wonder too about this, how brilliant of a, of, of a game constructor Brian Dable has been, how much maybe they don't get in their own head and they're maybe at halftime adjusting in their minds to the adjustments they're anticipating. And sometimes when you're doing that, I wonder how much overlap there is. I mean, there's some high level stuff going on with this offense and um, I'm much too amateurish to go into the details of the X's and O's of it, but you just see the way that the guys that do know about that stuff are talking about this and the way that the respect that Dable has garnered around the league and what they're doing with um, 10 personnel, I think second in the league still in terms of how much they use just the one running back and no tight end sets, four wide receivers. Um, so I'm wondering if there's just at times, and it happens to be in the third quarter, where there's just you know maybe too much thought going in and not enough just going out and playing football. I don't know. It's just a theory. It's just a thought. Well, whenever you're ready, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, you know, this game on Sunday, it's not a gimme. There's no such thing as a gimme in this league. I think a lot of people anticipated last week that the, for instance, that the Dolphins are going to run over the uh, the Broncos, and that obviously didn't happen. So you can't overlook this team, but Buffalo's had an extra week to prepare for the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers remind me in the Bills a lot that they can build these leads up in some games, but toward the end, they, they let the opposition in. So uh, I think that this is a, a team that, that struggles to close games, that being the Chargers. So like you said, a lot of close games, but at the end, they fail for whatever reason. Uh, I, I think that this is a game that the Bills could take an opportunity to actually pull away from a team for once just because they, they have those kind of issues themselves. Uh, talented wide receiver core. They might get Austin Eckler back on Sunday. We shall see about that. Uh, but But overall, I think this is a game that the Bills can come out, make a statement, and say, hey, listen, you know, we are in the driver's seat in the AFC East. We're not going to stumble, fall on our face like we've seen from this franchise in years past before the Sean McDermott era where they're expected to win a game and, the, and they can't pull it out. Uh, so expectations start to, on Sunday in terms of this final run of whether they're a legitimate playoff team in the AFC. Uh, I think that they're a playoff team regardless, whether it's uh, East AFC's champions or wild card, but they could really make a statement and get into one of those top three spots and cemented over the next few weeks. Well, I just reading some more off of what Matt said, and before we get into the bold prediction, I had no choice but to bring some boomer perspective real quick. Yeah, I said boomer per, boomer perspective because the last time the Bills record was this stellar was in 1990. But when I looked at the statistics from the Bills games in the 1990 season going into 1991 where we had the horrible wide, right? I hate to bring it up, ladies and gentlemen, but I couldn't help but notice that the reason the Bills stood out so much that year, yes, you had the keg on offense. Uh, you had just amazing play on the offensive side with uh, Thurman Thomas, but the defense figured it out. The defense in the second half still shut down teams. Let me remind everyone, in the AFC Championship that year, going into the 1991 playoffs, the Buffalo Bills destroyed the Los Angeles Raiders 51-3. to The defense shut them down. And yes, it was a horrible loss going into the Super Bowl, but that year, if you look at the numbers, you look at an in-depth analysis on players, 
you'll notice that the defense caught their stride early on in the season and did not take their foot off the gas. And that's something in these last six games, if the Bills are going to go 13-3, and 12-4, even 11-5, the defense needs to show up. The defense needs to literally figure out more of an identity because right now their identity has been showing, in my opinion, as they can take the ball away from you, which is great. I mean, they're very opportunistic. When Larry Fitzgerald, you know, the ball fumbled up in the air after he tried to catch it, who was there right away to pick it off and give the Buffalo Bills a chance? Jordan Poyer, great, awesome heads-up play. If he didn't make that play, the Buffalo Bills don't stand a chance in that game. Now, we got to jump into this last bold prediction, uh, Matt. So you have the Bills finishing at 12-4. and Please expand. Yeah, I think uh, everything that I've seen from them in these first 10 games, their ability to deal with adversity, the way that they've played in some tough games, and really, they're a Hail Mary away from being 8-2, and two, and who knows about maybe 9-1 and one if that Tennessee Titans game happens in a different in different under different circumstances. Uh, so I think that they've proven an ability to win. I think they're going up against a bunch of teams in this final stretch where there's a path to victory in every game. Uh, this is a San Francisco 49ers team. When this when the schedule came out, I remember Ryan and I talking about this on our podcast several times about, man, that San Francisco game might be the toughest on the schedule. Well, now it's a road game. It's an east to west coast trip on Monday on prime time on Monday Night Football. But this this team looks a lot different without Jimmy G, George Kittle, and uh, Nick Bosa. And we'll see if, if if they don't get a little bit healthier, maybe Garoppolo or and or Kittle back in the mix. We'll see as that game approaches. But they're just winnable games. I don't think Pittsburgh's nearly as good as their record states. That defense is really good, and Ben Roethlisberger has played really well this season. But I think that it's it's a different game against a team like the Bills, who I think is a playoff um, contender, and and so I want to see that game. I think that that Pittsburgh game still to me is probably the toughest, just because of their defense and their proven ability to get to force turnovers. And Josh struggled with them last year, but everywhere else you look, I mean, those are winnable games. The chart, I like Justin Herbert as much as anybody else, but this is a this is a, a game the Bills win. And, and there's no real way around it. And if you're a playoff contender, you win this game. You beat Miami, which, you know, we've seen how good Josh Allen has been against the Dolphins in his career. Uh, you beat the Broncos, even on the road. Drew Locke is not, a good, is not as good of a quarterback as Josh Allen. So I take the, the better quarterback in that, in that matchup. And then the New England Patriots, no better way to prove that you've arrived and the monkey is off your back than going out and slaying. Uh, you know the the dynasty, or, or what was what what remains of the dynasty. So uh, everywhere I look, they're winnable games, and if, that's the crazy thing about this. Steve is if they went six and zero in these final six games, I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm not going to predict that. I think that that's very unlikely with two West Coast trips. Uh, so I'll go, I'll I'll dial it back a little bit and say five and one. But I just think that also speaks to how how heightened the expectations are now. Um, uh, the division a home playoff game, at least a home playoff win are, you know, the floor for expectations at this point. I mean, I'm, I think a lot of fans are looking at a, a run of the AFC title game at least. Excellent points. Uh, what do you have, Ryan? Yeah, I echo Matt's sentiments. There's not one game on the schedule where I sit there and say the Bills can't win it. Uh, as he said, the Chargers game on Sunday, this is a game that a playoff team wins. 
Uh, you move on to the 49ers game. You, you, they don't have key pieces. This is not anything like the Super Bowl team that we saw one year ago. That's a winnable game. Uh, I'm going to go a little out of order here, but you, you have the Broncos. That should be a winnable game. Obviously, Pittsburgh. Um, I mentioned in an article last week, they, they're giving up 48% uh, plus on third downs to on the road this season. So they could they come to Buffalo. If Buffalo's third down offense fares that well against Pittsburgh's defense, moves the ball, scores points, I don't see why they can't uh, win against Pittsburgh. And mind you, Buffalo's defense has been more aggressive over the last few weeks. Roethlisberger, while he's still big, hard to bring down at times, he, he's not going to take off and run much. Uh, obviously, he never really did, but he, he at least would be hard to bring down early in his career. Uh, I think he's more Bledsoe-esque at this point in his career in terms of being a pocket guy that uh, you're not going to have to worry about. So the Bills can send some heat at him, try to force some turnovers. That's a winnable game. Patriots, Dolphins, uh, we saw that with Tua in the lineup. You know, Maybe, maybe the answer there is throw heat at the guy. Uh, because he really struggled doing so against Denver. So might as well try that in week 17 if he hasn't improved in that regard, and you can win that as well. So uh, I think that Matt's prediction, possibly going 5-1 and one down the stretch, it's definitely something that we could see happen. You know, I, I have to I have to go at 4-2 and two for their last stretch here, and that's why I have them uh, slated at 11-5, and five because I'm looking at the Chargers, the Steelers, and the Patriots. I... Until the defense solidifies a stronger playoff-ready identity, I don't see them winning those games. Uh, you know, I, I'm just I'm I'm personally not convinced that the Chargers are a terrible team. The record does not say that enough to me. I'm I'm going to talk about the team. You know, the potential losses here before I talk about the potential wins. So. Then the Steelers, they're just well put together. Yes, they've had some close games where they've shown some signs of being able to lose, but you see what Big Ben brings to that team and its stability on the offensive side. Completely different team from last year. Uh, I, I don't know if we win the game last year on Sunday night against the Steelers if Big Ben's playing because I don't, I don't see him making the same mistakes as Duck Hodges does. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the game against the Patriots and. I'm just going to be real. I don't think that they're very far behind us and they're still, I mean, they caught another stride last week. And I think that, yes, there's a lot of question marks with Cam Newton, whatever have you, but I'm looking at their team and I'm looking at their defense. And that is something that sticks out to me as it's Bill Belichick's defense. He knows how to attack Josh Allen and he knows how to make Josh Allen make mistakes. So those three games, I, I see, two losses out of that. I got them going four and two. So the next three games I want to talk about here is, you know, the Niners, Broncos and, and Dolphins. So I'm going to talk about the Dolphins first because I could not stand how much the media was hyping up the Dolphins. It was so ridiculous. And then, oh, it, now it's all Brian Flores' fault, all this other, you know, bull. Look, the fact of the matter is that there wasn't enough tape on Tua. Now there's tape on Tua. And I said it. Last week, we're going to see what Tua's slump look like, looks like, and it was last week. His slump is he got benched. His slump is his head coach did not think he could push the ball down the field to, to potentially tie the football game and win it. All right, and then you look at uh, Drew Locke. Drew Locke, I mean, <laughs> I forgot who tweeted it, but it had me dying. He said, Drew Locke throws his Gatorade 
and it's incomplete. It was hilarious. But I, I just look at a regular occurrence of Drew Locke. I don't see him making the big play when it counts. I see his defense showing up more than him. And the Niners, I just feel like we're we're going to outmatch them. Uh, you know, with the five wide set, we're going to be able to do a lot of zone runs, and our defense is just going to show up. I think we're going to we're going to play really well in that game. Uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, coming off a game from the Chargers where, you know, we definitely gained back some momentum off the bye. We got plenty of time to prepare for a rookie quarterback. So I don't foresee, uh, you know, the undefeated Sean McDermott struggling off a of bye week. So I got them at 11 and five. I'm going to just say what it is. They're going to lose the Steelers and Pats game. I'm just believing that's going to happen. But hey, I'm going to be optimistic and also say they can potentially go 12 and four, 13 and three if they catch their stride. So, uh, that's all we got, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it was a bit of a longer podcast, and I think it was well-deserved, well-needed. I mean, there was a lot of question marks coming out of the bye week, and what better time uh, than ever to bring Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot back on the Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Thank you, fellas, so much for joining me again. Uh, obviously, uh, I'll be in touch, whether if it's the last game of the season or into the playoffs or even in the offseason to talk about the draft. Uh, you know, a lot of good things coming up for the NFL, for the Buffalo Bills. So thank you, fellas, again. If you could uh, give the audience some insight on where they can find all your content, that would be awesome. You can start, Matt, and then uh, Ryan, uh, proceed after. Yeah, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com will be where all our work is. Uh, definitely want to hear us every Wednesday night on the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. You can search that on all of your audio platforms, but the live show is on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you find my handle at Matt Perino on Twitter, that's where you'll find directions to watch live. And we're live tonight with Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic to uh, do a lot more of this, diving into this uh, 7-3 football team. And it is a Wednesday. It is a Wednesday today, ladies and gentlemen. So I was able to catch them right in the middle of the week before Thanksgiving. So just wanted to point that out as well. And you can find me in all the same places that Matt mentioned and on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Awesome. Thank you, fellas, so much. And thanks, everyone, again, for joining me on the Buffalo Bay Buffalo Rumblings podcast. This is Steve Vega. Let's go, Bills. Let's go undefeated. Off the bye week. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.